If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And friends, today's episode is one you are going to want to hear. We have done over 300 episodes, and this is the first time we have talked to a board member about his perspectives on board service. So today, we're going to be having a conversation with Charlie Moore, who is the CEO of Rocket Lawyer. But before I give you a little intro about Charlie, let me just share with you why I thought this conversation could be so important. As nonprofit professionals and consultants serving the nonprofit world, we spend a lot of time talking about board service from our perspectives. Here's what we need from our board members. Why won't our board members just do this? What's the best way to get our board members to do that? Well, Lexi came to me with this kind of really amazingly good and revolutionary idea. She said, Dolph, why don't we have Charlie Moore on? He serves on a number of boards. And let's talk to him about what it's like to actually serve on a board. What do board members like? What don't they like? Maybe we have some myths. Maybe we think this is something that board members really like, and we need to be disabused of some of those myths. And so that's why we invited Charlie Moore, who, again, is the founder and CEO of Rocket Lawyer. If you're not familiar with Rocket Lawyer, it probably means you don't listen to podcasts because they advertise probably on about a third of the podcasts that I listen to. And I listen to a lot of podcasts, friends. So they are affordable and accessible legal advice for entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and individuals. So Charlie started, as I said, he founded Rocket Lawyer. But before Rocket Lawyer, he was in the Navy. He is a uh, Afghanistan and Gulf War vet and also as a graduate of the Naval Academy. I will share with you that in his many roles, he has also served on many board organizations. And we're talking about organizations you probably have heard of, like KQED. If you watch public television, you know KQED. Boys and Girls Club of San Francisco, the Naval Academy Foundation, and many, many more. And so that's why I really am excited to have this conversation with Charlie. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure, Dolph. Great to be with you. So the first question I have, and this is kind of a, just my own curiosity, 
for the most part, did these organizations reach out to you whose board you served on and asked you if you would join the board? Or did you like have a burning desire to really move a certain cause forward and go and find the organization? You know, it's honestly more the former. So I'm very curious, Charlie. So clearly, some people sat in around in a room and they were like, we need more board members. And they're like, okay, let's put together a hit list. And so Charlie Moore was on the hit list because of Rocket Lawyer, which has been a really successful company. And so when you were approached, like, and you don't have to name names, you don't have to say, oh, this organization and by name. But when you were approached, what about those approaches where you serve on our board felt good? And were there any approaches that didn't feel good? Well, approaches that don't feel good, I tend to reject. <laughs> so now that I've been on boards for, you know, going on my third decade of board service, I've, of course, outreached myself to prospective board members. And so I think, first of all, coming from a place of, you know, respect and always trying to understand, you know, what does the other person value? You know, how do they want to make an impact is the most important thing. So listening first and finding out, you know, what are the values of the other person? And, you know, if the values of the other person don't align, meaning that the other person isn't really trying to move the same needle that you or your organization are, there's no pitch that should ever even happen. So I think that the best approach when I've been contacted has been folks that have sort of thought they had a notion based on things they either knew about me privately or publicly that their mission might resonate with me and, you know, might be parallel to some things I want to accomplish. Or if I'm the one doing the outreach, same thing is just sort of, hey, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want to see happen in the world? And when there is that nexus between what they want and then what the organization's goals, purposes, now you start actually having the conversation, but nobody wants to hear a sales pitch. So you mentioned those that don't feel good, you reject. Can you describe a couple of those? <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I'll back up a little bit, Dolph. Focus is something that is hard for people. It's been hard for me. I mean, where I've made mistakes and I've made plenty of mistakes, a lot of it has had to do with discipline and focus. And when I sort of lose track of the discipline and focus. So I've gotten better at listening to opportunities. And these might be the most fantastic opportunities ever. But if I can't commit my whole self to it, here's an easy example. I rejected an organization that asked me to join the board because they had their board meetings when my son had his baseball games, which were Tuesdays and Fridays. And they met on Tuesdays at around 3.30 in the afternoon when he was having his baseball game. And I just had to tell him, listen, that's a big priority in my life. I'm going to be there. And I don't think I can serve on your board unless you're going to wreak havoc and change all your administrative, you know, times and practices. So that's a simple, that's an easy example, right? And, but I think the more macro point is if I'm not going to be able to really show up and be present, I'm not going to commit to it. Even if it, everything else lined up, great, because I think the organization deserves to get somebody in that seat who's going to be all in. And that's what we always want. That's certainly fair, Charlie. And when you're having conversations with a board, if they have a give-get, what are your thoughts about give-gets? You know, the concept that, you know, you need to make a personal gift and either then give or fundraise up to a certain amount. Well, I'm used to it. So in almost three decades, I have not 
Well, actually, I take that back. The Naval Academy Foundation is a little different. But I have not been part of a board where I didn't have something like that. I've been part of, you know, multiple capital campaigns on boards. And, you know, the first thing you hear, whether it's you have an outside consultant come in to help with that capital campaign or it's sort of self-directed, is we need 100% board participation. And I buy into that because if I'm going to go represent the organization, I want to be able to say when I'm asking somebody for money that I've already done what I'm asking you to do, right? And so I think that's an important value for nonprofit organizations to have. Having said that, I mentioned I am a member of the Naval Academy Foundation Board. Naval Academy Foundation is a board that augments what the public financing can do because these are public institutions, the service academies. And we augment that budget and we fundraise like a typical college endowment. And so that we can provide additional support for the institution and we can get great professors at Navy that, you know, you could get more than it with a government salary, et cetera. And facilities like the cyber center that we've built that really everybody now is aware cyber warfare is the next frontier. And we're training the next generation of military leaders, and they've got to be great at cyber. And we have a state-of-the-art cyber warfare center that's partially funded by private donations. So having said that, what's awesome there is I get to be surrounded by military leaders like Admiral Mike Mullen, who was the you know chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and General Bolden, Charles Bolden, who was the first Black astronaut in space. Of course, they had military careers and served our country. And so there's not the same raise get obligation. They are there for oversight and as inspiration to the rest of us and valuable mentors and leaders in the purest sense of the word. And so that's one of the things I actually really love about the Academy Board. It's this mix of private citizens like myself who are there to help raise money and public servants who are not. And it really works. So it does sound like in the right circumstance or for the right organization, you feel like maybe there is a place to not have a give-get. But for the most part, most organizations probably should have one. Completely. I guess the one sort of, if I was going to have a takeaway from all of that, would be there's not one size fits all. One size fits most, at least in my experience. But I wouldn't say one size fits all because I'm having a really enriching, rewarding experience on a board that doesn't have it. And I think I explained why. So let's talk about those rich and rewarding experiences, not necessarily just the Naval Academy Foundation, but let's talk about those rich and rewarding experiences. If you serve on a board committee, what makes that committee service rewarding? And what makes it like drudgery for you as a board member? I'll go with the rewarding part first. They are related. I mean, I think any organization that serves people, which is most, when you lose sight of the customer, and if you don't have a customer, I think you need to manufacture one. (laughs) You need to go, we're here for, you need to be able to put a name on it. Who are you here for? And then you really get it. So it's losing sight of who you serve is where it becomes drudgery. It becomes uninspiring, et cetera. And so an example, you didn't mention this one, but I'm on the board of Matriculate, which is a Bloomberg Philanthropies funded, among others, organization that's a wonderful organization that helps kids from rural and disadvantaged backgrounds to get access to the best colleges in the country and mentorship. So one of the most rewarding things I've ever been part of on a board was starting to go beyond, okay, the kids 
get into grade schools and they do well at the grade schools. Now let's help them with internships and maybe getting jobs afterward. And so here at Rocketler, we've been able to be a pilot organization for providing mentorship to those kids. And so being on the committee of the board that sort of conceived of this intern opportunity as a new opportunity on the board or for the organization, excuse me, for matriculate, and then actually helping to be a pilot employer for some of the students has been something that I think is awesome. And it got my team at the company really excited about it. Now I've gotten much closer to getting to see the product of kids from rural environments and disadvantaged environments getting great educations and then seeing how brilliant they are and magnificent. And so it's really been terrific to be part of the strategy committee at Matriculate and then to actually execute on the strategy as well and keeping track of, you know, who is our customer, right, within that organization. I'll stop there for a second, but I get really fired up about it, Dolph. I mean, it's fantastic. I can tell you do. And what I'm hearing, I think they're really the best practice, it sounds like, is to get your board members involved in a way that they see the work and then they bring that work to the committees. And that feels a lot better than just, okay, well, we're back in this committee meeting. Let's talk until we talk again next month. That's right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you said it much better than I did. And so the other thing I'd love to get your, one of the other things I should say, because there's a number of them that I'd love to get your take on is the executive director report in the board meeting. I know a lot of my friends who listen and a lot of my friends who are clients have really struggle sometimes with their executive director report. They struggle in a lot of ways. Sometimes they struggle like they feel like, you know, they've written a great report and then they show up and no one has read the report. Sometimes they feel like the entire board meeting kind of becomes their show. So like instead of it being a 10-minute report, really they end up being the bulk of the board meeting. When you see executive director reports that are effective, what type of executive director report does that look like? What a great question. What a great question. I'm not a big fan of the whole like book read ahead. I'm not a fan of that at all. We, in fact, here internally in our organization, we practice working backwards. We, you know, the Amazon approach where you actually allocate time at the beginning of a meeting to read, but then you have to keep it short. And any Amazon veteran knows there are about six pages. Maximum is the most you can have. We try to keep it actually to two pages. You do the read ahead. I mean, you don't read ahead. You read in the meeting for 10 minutes or so. And it just makes for a much richer discussion because, you know, people actually read it. As far as the executive director or, you know, in, in my case, I'm the CEO of a company. So I do that report for my own board. I keep it to one slide or one page. And all it is, is an overview of what they're going to hear in detail from my team. And that's it. It's basically... What did we say we were going to do last time? And then it's just, how did we do versus what we said? So I basically cut and paste last quarter. Here's what I said we're going to do. And then this quarter is a retrospective on what we did versus what we said. And then the other part is just saying, what are we going to do this time? And that's it. And I think it works. Wait, here's one of the things I'm curious about in the nonprofit sector. So, you know, one of the ways the for-profit sector is different is a lot of board members are paid. And often, you know, maybe there's only quarterly board meetings and people fly across the country to go to the meeting. So they're there the night before, they're there the morning, the morning that it starts, et cetera. In the nonprofit sector where maybe people are dashing across town to get to the board meeting, 
or, you know, in the carpool pickup lane, literally while in the meeting, because we live in this miraculous time with Zoom, with the read ahead, and I love the concept of a read ahead, but how do we get everyone to show up on time so that people don't think, oh, great, I can be 10 minutes late. I'll just miss the reading part. Oh, that's the commitment part. And I understand it is different, but I would, maybe I'll put it this way, aspirationally, right? Make it aspirational. You want to aspire in your organization where it's a privilege for everyone around the table to be there. And I think you can get there. It's not about money and it's not about prestige. Again, I think it's about commitment to purpose and being very disciplined about, it's a little harder, but boy, does it pay dividends about that commitment to purpose and knowing that everybody around the table is committed and is authentic and honest. And I know it's hard, but do you have board members who are committed to each other? Forget about the executive director, committed to each other. We're all busy. Are you doing things like a good, sorry for the sports metaphor, but the best team is where the coach isn't the one policing the team. The team's policing itself and each other. And when the board member shows up late, It's not about the executive director. It's about their teammate on that board. It's, are we going to be a high-functioning board? And what does it take to be a high-functioning board? And how do we hold ourselves accountable to that? And I think sometimes we, and again, I'm saying myself included, who are, you know, chief executives, we sort of want to take the weight of the world on our shoulders where if we actually hand the issue off to the board chair or somebody and go, hey, this is your board, why don't you get the commitment, hey, how are we going to, just in mundane terms, how are we going to operate here? I've seen that work with executive directors of nonprofits that I've learned a lot from. I've actually learned a lot in terms of leadership from nonprofit executive directors I've had the privilege to work with. And so, Charlie, you were just starting to go where I was hoping we were going to go. So let's say there is a board, hopefully every board has some expectations that are board members, and let's say one of the expectations is you're going to show up on time because we're going to spend the first 10 minutes reading the board materials. And you've got a board member who, when I say you, I mean the board has a board member, not the executive director, but the board has a board member who's always showing up 15 minutes late. Oh, sorry, bad traffic. Oh, sorry, you know, I had to pick someone up. Oh, sorry, I had a meeting that ran late. What are your thoughts about the ways in which the board can effectively hold that person accountable? Because I agree with you, only the board can really do that. How can the board do that from your perspective as a board member? Firstly, by example, right? So first, be on time (laughs) and lead by example. And second, if this person's, you know, if they're the whale writing the big checks, maybe you need another tier where it's an executive board or board of trustees or Maybe you need a tier that doesn't require being there in person and they can have coffee with the chairman or the the chairperson or the executive director once in a while or do a Zoom and write a check. And maybe that works for both. So kind of just setting up the ground rules and the structures and then getting that real commitment to, well, which is the right fit. And I've also been on organization, the Boys and Girls Club in San Francisco has a structure like that where there's a sort of strategic group that really doesn't meet as a group, but more individual help and support. And then there's that governing board that has a sort of time commitment and the time commitment's important. 
Thank you. And Charlie, I really appreciate your perspective on this. Again, I think those of us in the nonprofit sector, we often think about this from our own perspectives, and we don't put ourselves in the minds of the board member often enough. So I sincerely appreciate that. I also, though, want to make sure that we ask the off-the-map question. So I know you went to the Naval Academy, and I'd be curious to know what lessons you learned at the Naval Academy that have proven important in your life after the military. Yeah, Dolph. So I'm going to tell you a quick anecdote that's been really meaningful to me that lots of people who work with me have heard because it periodically will come up. So my first year, my plebe year, I had a professor, Professor White, and he was teaching literature. He was our first year literature professor. And Professor White was a great Shakespearean actor in his free time. He used to act at the Folger Theater in D.C. So we're reading Don Quixote. And he asked the class, he says, you know, class, what was the lesson of Don Quixote? And people say, follow your dreams, you know. And he he was acting, but he slams the, you know, thousand page book down on the lectern. And he said, midshipmen, you're going to lead people for a living. The lesson of Don Quixote is that Sancho got his island. So in the book, thousand pages, at some point early on, they're again, listen to people what they want. They're meandering through the Spanish countryside and Don Quixote was chasing at windmills and acting an absolute fool. But there's one guy that believes in him, believes these windmills are dragons, et cetera. And that's Sancho Panza. And at some point he says, Sancho, what do you want out of life? Well, I think I'd like to have my own island. Many adventures happen and over the course of the book. But you know what? At one point they're on, I think the island was Ibiza now, the party island now. But they were off the coast of Spain on an island. And the indigenous people of the island made Sancho their leader. He was the governor of that island. So he got it. He got what he was looking for. Anytime you lead people, you got to know what they're looking for. And you got to make your mission in life getting it for them. That's powerful, Charlie. That's really powerful. Thank you. And friends, you know, every time we have a guest, I always want to make sure you know how to find them. So, Here's where you can find Charlie. You can go to rocketlawyer.com. And again, as I mentioned in the intro, Rocket Lawyer is an organization that provides affordable and accessible legal advice for entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and individuals. So you can go to rocketlawyer.com. You can also go to rockettax.com if you're looking for some tax solutions. And the last one that I would encourage you maybe to think about is in the nonprofit sector, we're trying to figure out how we can, frankly, be talent magnets, how we can compete with the for-profit sector when it comes to recruiting and hiring. And so one of the benefits that you could also consider would be to essentially offer legal services as a benefit. And you can do that at rocketlawyer.com forward slash defend dash confidently. And we will include all of those links in our show notes. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My honor. My honor, Joel. Thank you. Keep up the great work. All right, friends. So, you know, if you've liked this episode, if it's caused you to think, huh, uh, if it's really caused you to think about what it's like to be in your board member's head, in your board member's shoes, there are two other episodes I think you will find useful. One is episode 210, Good Board Stewardship with Bob Gallagher. And the second is episode 205, Finding Your Next Great Board Member with Rob Acton. You did hear Charlie say that the vast majority of the time, the organization approaches him. So this is an active process, and episode 205 with Rob Acton can help you with that. And finally, 
If you know another executive director or board chair who you think this episode will be helpful for, because you think it will be good for them to be thinking about the ways that their board members are perceiving board service, please, please forward a link to them. That, my friends, is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And you know, the lawyers make me do it, or I wouldn't do it, but every week they want me to do a disclaimer. So over the last six, seven, 12, 15 weeks, I've just been throwing the disclaimer into chat GPT and say, give me something interesting. So here's the disclaimer this time. It's a riff on Julius Caesar. Friends, listeners, fellow podcast enthusiasts, lend me your ears. Before we conclude this modern day forum of ideas, Allow me to clarify my place in your auditory world. I am not a tax tamer nor a legal lion. Yes, contrary to what my eloquent words might suggest, I am neither an accountant nor an attorney. In the same vein, neither I nor my noble consulting practice are bearers of tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consider this podcast as a grand coliseum of information where knowledge fights for your enlightenment but where the responsibility of reliance rests solely on your own shoulders. Should you find yourself in need of a tax, legal, or accounting expert, seek out a licensed, seasoned professional and get their counsel.